Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Happy New Year. I am joined by Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, also by way of the Abiders. Happy New Year to you, Julie. (laughs) Happy New Year, Denny. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. I hope you uh, you are as well. I am. I'm doing great. It's a great way to start 2021. Absolutely. And let's advise our listeners uh, who, if they're regular listeners of the show, they know we tend to get real busy. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, yes, I know it's January 2nd, <laughs> but we talk lawns and gardens 52 weeks a year here on CCO. And uh, folks, I was talking to a friend of mine about um, gardening and birding. And she said, you know, I've heard that gardening and birding are the top two leisure time activities in the whole country. And I said, yes, I've heard that. It's right up there, especially these days, you know, with everybody being at home the past year so much. We've we've had just uh, so many people interested in getting started gardening. And there was a recent survey by Axiom Marketing that – kind of checked out how people were gardening in COVID times <laughs> and uh, and found that there were so many more younger gardeners, people who have not gardened before or barely gardened and really got into it this past summer. So I'm looking forward to hearing from a lot of those people in the next coming year and years to come. Absolutely. Uh, we, we, don't, uh, we, we don't just take calls and text messages from master gardeners. Beginning gardeners, we love to hear from you as well. And Absolutely. I would imagine that, uh, um, that you're right, uh, people, given this crazy year of 2020, <laughs> that you've had the chance to get outside, if you have. Right. To work in the, yeah, and it's uh, and you look forward to that, just to get out of, getting out of the house. But, you know, I'm thinking, Julie, what, uh, what can we do now? I mean, I look outside and the... Snow has finally covered the shrubs and the lawns, and uh, it's it's what now ten degrees here in the Twin Cities. What can we do garden wise? What 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 would you, what do you do? Well, right now, uh, I, there's probably two things in general. One is, of course, just enjoying the winter landscape. So I know that that sounds a bit <laughs> kind of a bit odd, but there's a lot of great textures and colors in our landscapes. And as you drive, if you're driving around or if you're out hiking or walking, 
uh, just kind of admire the shapes of the plants and the foliage that remains on some of our evergreens. There's a lot of plants like hydrangeas that still have their blooms, which are kind of brown and tan now, but but look neat against the snow. The snow really shows it off, I have to say. And the second thing is also indoor gardening, so house plants, growing, uh, starting some seeds. We're getting to the time of the year where we might be starting seeds and getting ready for our spring garden or doing some indoor edible gardening like microgreens or, uh, or growing, um, you know, if you have citrus plants, they're probably fruiting at this point. So um, really enjoying those house plants too is another part of gardening that we don't think about in the summer as much. That's a good point. Good point. If you have any kind of a garden, lawn or garden question, by all means, call it in or text it in 651-989-9226. Same number for either a phone call if you want to chat with Julie or send Julie a text, 651-989-9226. What's happening at the Arboretum these days? I mean, that's a good, uh, good resource as well. Yeah. That's another great place. If you want to take a walk, and it's and it, you know it's fairly easy access around the around the arboretum buildings. The arboretum is open and busy. You want to make a reservation online at arb.umn.edu. That's a r b dot u m n dot edu. You can just also Google it too. And uh, and get a reservation. If you're a member, it doesn't cost anything. If you are not a member, you might want to consider being a member in 2021. It's a it's a just a wonderful resource. It's, we are so lucky in Minnesota to have the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum right in our own backyard. So uh, out walking, great way to get fresh air. And we have some really nice temperatures coming up in the next 10 days. And uh, so really conducive to getting outside and enjoying our winter landscape. And that's where you can really see a ton of different kinds of textures. And the plants are labeled. So if you like something, you could snap a photo of it with your, uh, with your phone and snap a picture of the tag, too, so that you remember what the plant is. And then this spring, go to your garden center and see if you can uh, get that tree or shrub. And it uh, might be something to add to your landscape. That's a great idea. Any time of the year. If to, to check out different growth, yeah. Uh, 651-989-9226. Let us go to the phones. I think Claudia calling in from uh, Victoria. Good morning. You are on with Julie. Good morning. I have some tree pruning questions. Uh, specifically, is it uh, a good time now to think about pruning my, I have pagoda dogwood, I have magnolia trees, and I have um, uh, some white uh, white birch. Okay. As well, well as as well as maples, I guess. Got it. Okay. So your maple, you could prune now. Now be aware that if you prune on a warm day, you might see some sap running. That's perfectly normal. You don't want to prune your magnolia because you're going to end up pruning off flower buds. And you might say, well, it's either the flower buds or I have to remove this branch for form. And then you just have to make a decision there. You might lose a few flower buds. Uh, if you are pruning your birch tree, uh, you can prune that now. That that could possibly bleed, which is where the sap is just kind of dripping out of it. That's just, again, very normal from a pruning standpoint. You can prune almost anything right now. Uh, and, uh, and because the trees are dormant, they are not um, going to be, oh, they're not going to be getting any insect issues or fungal spores, that kind of thing, that are going to be wounding them at all. So this is a good time to do some pruning. Winter is an excellent time. It really is. Uh, let's see, a texter wants to know this. It comes from Lynn in Shoreview. Uh, 
I just picked seven lemons from my right. lemon tree. It uh, not me, but Lynn did. <laughs> uh, it needs to be repotted into a larger pot. What kind of soil should I? From my right. lemon tree, it uh, not me, but Lynn did. <laughs> uh, it needs to be repotted into a larger pot. What kind of soil should I use? Lynn wants to know. Well, there are a lot of great soils. I would go to your garden center and see what the choices are. I don't think that there's really a soil for citrus. You might want you want something that's light. You want something that is going to have some maybe a little bit of bark in it just to add a little bit of texture and drainage. You want good drainage for your citrus tree. But you can really repot it in a general all-purpose potting soil. And uh, check with your garden center. We have some very, very helpful very well, uh, well-educated garden centers uh, and garden center staff around our state and check with them and talk to them about citrus trees. You can also check online too. We do have a webpage under our house plants on citrus plants and uh, that includes uh, not just lemons but also uh, calamondin oranges and kumquats, uh, all different kinds of plants that you can plant and grow indoors. And so take a look at that webpage too. And that's going to be at extension.umn.edu. Go to our uh, yard and garden page and go to Citrus under House Plants. A lot of good info there at that website. I'll tell you what, I know we have to break, but I want to get, grab a phone call from Betty calling in from St. Louis Park. Uh, Betty, you're on CCO with Julie. Good morning. Good morning. I have an amaryllis bulb. It has two stalks with blooms on it. The one stalk. The blooms have, um, are gone. Uh, can I just cut that stalk off now, or should I let it just die back? Well, it kind of there's two different uh, thoughts here. One is the stalk, while it's green, is still photosynthesizing, meaning that it's still taking light and oxygen and everything and putting it together and creating energy back into the bulb. So that's one thing. But you're going to be growing a lot of leaves, too. So personally, I like to cut the stalk off. Uh, It starts to get kind of funky looking and not very attractive. And so you want to take a nice sharp pruner or a nice sharp knife and just slice it off near the top of the bulb. And uh, and then you should be seeing either more buds coming or more or leaves will start to be produced from that bulb. All right. Well, let's uh, take this break. We uh, have uh, cleared the lines now. If you want to call in your lawn or garden question of Julie, uh, 651-989-9226, or use that same number for your text question, if whatever is easier, 651-989-9226. Uh, 10 degrees now in the Twin Cities, and in some parts still has some pretty dense fog. We'll be right back with more Smart Garden on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here and with the help of Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota this Saturday morning. Call in your lawn or garden question or send the text 651-989-9226, whichever you prefer. Uh, Julie, when we opened the show, we were talking about uh, things people can do as they look out their window and see this beautiful <laughs> snow cover. But what? give us a couple of other ideas, like catalogs or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Winter is a great time to be listening and uh, to radio shows like ours mm-hmm. and podcasts, and then also reading about uh, plants that you might be looking forward to this spring. 
So starting seeds, for example, I'm sure that gardeners out there have been bombarded with seed catalogs. I know I have. And it's great to look through those. There's a lot of new varieties of vegetables and flowers that you might consider ordering the seeds for, or sometimes you can order plants also from that uh, supplier. So looking at seed catalogs, and then also uh, thinking about classes, too. There's a lot of good online classes. Uh, the Arboretum has a whole array of classes that you can take online, and you can look at those at arb.umn.edu and go to classes for adults. And there's also things for kids to do, too. Some great ideas, yeah, this time of year. Thank you. Um, oh, boy, we have so many uh, text messages. We have an open line, too, if you want to call in your question, 651-989-9226. Uh, texter says this, Julie. I built a large raised bed vegetable garden, had it filled with black dirt. How should I prepare the soil for planting in the spring? That comes from Tom from Marshall, Minnesota. All right. So raised beds are a great uh, alternative to growing it directly in the ground. Part of it, if you have very difficult soil, say really heavy clay soil or sandy soil, building a raised bed and then filling it with a, a, a growing mix, which you can get from many, many uh, different locations and suppliers around the state uh, is a wonderful way to not have to dig in and amend the soil in your ground. Sometimes it's just really difficult. Sometimes you rent a house and you can't dig into the soil, but you can put up a raised bed that you can take down and, uh, and remove when you, you know, move on to another location to live. But uh, what do you do with it? So you can add in compost. You can buy compost in bags, so it's very convenient. If you have a lot of large uh, raised beds, you can bring in a load of compost and have it dumped in your yard and then go ahead and shovel it in and mix it in. You need maybe about, oh, I want to say a couple of inches per square foot and just mix that in. It doesn't have to be mixed in really deeply, uh, but you can get a, a garden fork is really useful and just mix that in and that will do a couple of things. One, it will improve the drainage in your raised bed, which is really important to healthy vegetable roots and flower roots. It will also uh, add a little bit of nutrition to your soil and it will increase the microbial organisms that are growing in that are in the soil which help to create a good growing environment for roots too so compost in general is a great uh amendment and uh you can add too much compost so you don't need buckets and buckets of it um but just about you want to mix about you know 2 3 inches per per square foot and then mix it in really well very good Let's go back to the phones, Julie. I think Marty's calling in from Bloomington. Marty, you're on CCO with Julie. Hello, hello. Marty? I know you're there. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. How can we help you? Well, we bought a little rosemary tree to be our Christmas tree. And now that we're taking off the ornaments and the lights, we don't know what to do with our rosemary plant. Okay, well, that was a good alternative to a tree, to a conifer. Uh, rosemary is, of course, a wonderful herb. It smells great just as an ornamental plant, but it can also be used for cooking. So rosemary goes great with poultry and pork. And uh, rosemaries, I have to say, are a little challenging to grow well indoors. And part of that is because we have very dry environments 
and we have a, we don't have a lot of sun in our houses. So if you have the sunniest window possible that in your house, put that rosemary in that in that sunny window, and make sure that it's in a pot that drains well. So you might have bought it and it came in a decorative pot, but you but it's probably a pot inside a pot. So there may be a plastic sleeve that that plant is growing in, and then it's just set in that decorative pot. So when you go to water it, you want to take it out of the decorative pot in the plastic sleeve, and you want to set it in the sink and water it till that root ball is saturated, but making sure that it's draining well. Once it's drained, put it back in its decorative pot so you can enjoy it that way. That's really one of the key things for rosemaries. The other thing to do is you might every once in a while want to take that little plant and put it in the shower or put it under in a sink where you have a spray nozzle and you can spray it down to just give it a little cleanup. It attracts a lot of dust. Rosemaries are very oily and dust can attract that. And, and sometimes with that dust, you might get spider mites. Spider mites are going to form real fine webbing on that plant. So you want to keep your eye out for that too. And if you are going to eat the rosemary and you have a pest like spider mites, you want to be careful not to use an insecticide that is not labeled for edible plants. So I think washing it off helps a lot. Uh, it gets a little moisture in there, gets the dust off those needles, and, uh, and then just make sure it drains really well. Keep it in a sunny window. Yeah, rosemary, garlic, chicken. It's challenging. Mm. Yeah, rosemary is challenging to grow indoors, but I wish you the best on that. All right, Julie, we need to take a quick break. We have a look at that forecast coming up here in a moment or two. We'll have another half hour of the show to go. So if you did not uh, get your question answered, call it in or text it in, 651-989-9226. Back with more Smart Garden here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Around every Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your calls or your text messages for Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, helping you out this morning. I was going to ask you, maybe I shouldn't ask you personal <laughs> New Year's resolutions, but what about any any gardening New Year's resolutions? Well, first of all, Denny, I've known you long enough, so you should probably have. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, gardening resolutions. Um I think one thing I'm going to start, I'm going to try doing this year, and I haven't done this before, if you can believe it, is uh, I've started lots of seeds in my house before, um, but I am going to try growing some uh, greens, uh, so lettuces and some uh, arugula, things like that, in flats. I'm going to start them this coming week, probably, that I can actually cut and we can uh, have in our salads. So I'm going to give that a go. I've got some grow lights set up, and I've also got some heat mats that uh, you can buy to put underneath flats, and it helps to warm that soil so that it's more conducive to germination and healthier for the plant. So I'm going to try that. I have not tried that before. But there are a lot mm. of things people can do too, uh, such as writing down your observations in your gardening journal. We have a we have the Yard and Garden News, and we have an article coming out on adopting this practice in 2021. So here's a sneak preview uh, from Shane uh, in Nicolet, who is our local educator. Uh, writing down observations in a gardening journal is really helpful for looking back the next year. 
And then also uh, Natalie Hoytel, who's our vegetable uh, extension educator, is suggesting that we anticipate insect and disease issues and come up with preventative management plans. She gives you some good resources for that. Uh, Mary Meyer, who we all know, she's on WCCO's Smart Garden. Mm -hmm. And Mary is recommending keep the plant labels of all the plants that you grow. (laughs) Great idea. Uh, Yeah, because you forget what you have. Uh, If you label the plant in the garden, sometimes the label breaks. So you can draw a map. You can create a more uh, uh, permanent label. There's lots of different labels you can buy. But keeping that label in a book or a folder or a drawer, something where you can find all of the labels. That's what I do. I have one of those plastic drawers you can buy them at, you know, Target or something. And I just throw in my labels every time Mm. I buy them. And I've gone back there many times looking for a label to read a little bit more about the plant. And then uh, my suggestion is actually identifying invasive plants on your property and learning about them and then removing them and managing them on your property to help all Mm. of the rest of our environment uh, to be less, uh, less, uh, I guess, uh, have less, uh, <laughs> struggling for the word, uh, fewer invasive species, so less competition for the plants we really sure. do want to grow. That makes sense. Some great ideas. Thank so you. So watch for um, that article. 651-989-9226 is our phone number. It's our text number. Speaking of phones, let's go back to the phones, Julie. I think Monica's on the horn from Bloomington. Monica, you're on CCO with Julie. Oh, good morning. Say, I received a plant as a gift, a couple plants, what I'm concerned about is one called El Woody. It looks like a little fern, um, and it's Shamasia Paris Laws. Anyway, um, it, it was nice and green and supple when I got it, and I always keep it moist. And I got it around December 10th as a gift. And since then, um, it's the branches have splayed. I, I don't know if that's the right terminology. They've okay. spread out. And yep. it's very brittle. But it's not brown, and I keep watering it, and it's almost like a dried herb. <laughs> and I don't know if, if it isn't brown. If I killed it, is there is it going to soften up, or is my house too warm? Or Well, if it isn't dropping any of its fronds, uh, or it's not uh, dropping branches but becoming brittle, so I'm guessing it's becoming woodier, and I think it may be, uh, sounds like you're keeping it moist, so that's good. Keep the soil moist. Make sure it's drained well. Um, it Maybe move it to a little bit more of like a medium light. Not a, If it's in a bright window, maybe move it someplace cooler. That might help. Um, but it might also be the way the plant grows. It might just become a woodier plant as it grows and stiffer and brittle like that. Um, I'm not familiar with that plant. So I, boy, you got me stumped on that, but that's kind of, that's what I would be guessing on uh, that particular plant. That's a, that's what I'm going to have to look up. More homework. More homework. Yes. (laughs) I do like homework like that. Here is a text, Julie. It says, with my cat inside, I find she is after my green plants. Other than poinsettia plants, should I be careful of any other in particular? The best resource for uh, plants that could be toxic to your pets is the ASPCA. So they have a good website. Uh, I think also Poison Control also has a website for pets as well. 
and uh, and that will identify them. Some pets will upset a dog's stomach or a cat's stomach if they eat it. Some can be fatal. So uh, you want to uh, take a look at that, and, and that goes to understanding and identifying the plants that you have too. Uh, you want to know their Latin name, and that will give you an accurate, uh, you know, identification of that plant, and then you can determine if it's going to be an issue with uh, with your pets. Pets can be nosy and curious, and cats especially because they can jump up on practically any surface. So um, it and, and they can also damage plants too. Even if they're not toxic, they can knock plants over, and so it's tricky. I I don't have cats, so I'm I'm grateful I don't have that problem. But I know friends who do, and it it can be it can be challenging. Mm. Thank you for that. Let's see um, another text. I brought my mums in the house. They were doing good, but uh, this last week they look like they're dying. You think they'll come back or not? No, probably not. Uh, I'm guessing that you got a, a florist variety of mums. Um, they are not long-lived in our houses. They get awfully leggy and they don't bloom as well. So they're probably done. And I would probably just uh, compost those or toss them. So uh, when we have our hardy garden mums, those you would not bring indoors. Those you would leave planted in the soil. Uh, those are developed for cold climates. Uh, such as Minnesota, we have some. We've had a huge mom breeding program at the University of Minnesota. Lots of great information on the university site about different kinds of mums, and there are excellent mum growers in Minnesota. So those hardy mums stay outside in the soil, but you probably got a florist variety, and they're they're probably done now. Mm, okay. Dexter says I cut pieces off my impatience this fall and put in water to root. Well, after the roots grew in, uh, I put it in soil, not doing well. What can I do? Well, water is one way. A lot of people will do that. Geraniums root in water and patients root in water. Lots of plants do, but the roots aren't very, they're not very good quality roots. Uh, plants that root in water are awfully, you know, they're, they're waterlogged, as you might imagine, um, and they just are not very good roots. The best way to root a plant is to take a cutting to uh, wet and dip the end in a rooting hormone, which is a powder that you buy at a garden center, and then to put them into something like damp sand or vermiculite or perlite and allow them to grow roots in in an environment that allows air to get to those roots. One of the problems with water is it's anaerobic. There's no air for the roots, and that's an important part of of healthy root growth. So that's probably what happened. Okay. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. I think uh, first up is Rod calling from Buffalo. Rod, you're on with Julie. Yes, sir. Um, good morning. morning. Heard you talking about labeling plants, and we use old clothespins, the the pinch type, and that way you can write on those and stick them on a the stake at you know wherever you need them, mm. and then reuse them the next year. So it's a quick way to uh, keep track of your stuff that you plant. Ah, that's, that's a good suggestion. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, that's something that's inexpensive, and you can, like uh, the caller said, you can, you know, use them year after year. So that's great. Yeah. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go to Rogers calling in from Minneapolis this morning. Roger, you on CCO with Julie? Yes. Good morning. I was wondering if you set a city water aside and let it warm up, will the chemicals that the city adds will that dissipate also? 
The chlorine will. So chlorine will turn to a gas if you let it sit about 24 hours. And some plants are sensitive to chlorine. So that's good. Uh, the fluorine that they put in the water is not going to dissipate. So uh, it's still best. Some plants tolerate that, tolerate our tap water, no problem. Um, geraniums, um, even amaryllis, they do fine. Uh, hibiscus. But some plants like uh, peace lilies are uh, sensitive to the fluorine. And there's actually a fluorine uh, toxicity. And that's part of what makes the tip of the plant burn. Uh, those chemicals collect in there and will burn those tips. So that's one example. Um, it's really best to understand the type of water that is required for your plants. For example, orchids grow uh, will do better with, and I've said this many times on the show, the reverse osmosis water or distilled water. Add a little bit of fertilizer to that. Um, Rainwater, when you have it. So, uh, so the chlorine will dissipate. When you let that water sit, but the other chemicals will not. Okay. Dexter wants to know, Julie, how do you plant an amaryllis bulb? Oh, yes. So amaryllis bulbs are enormous bulbs usually. Some are a little bit smaller. Depends on the variety. And you want to plant it with the bulb showing, like about about a third of the bulb showing above the soil. You don't want to plant it completely. You don't want to bury it completely. Uh, because it allows the the plant to get better drainage. It really amaryllis are pretty easy plants to grow because they they don't require a lot of fertilizer. They don't require a lot of care. They like to be kind of pot bound. They don't have to be repotted every year. And uh, if you want to take a look at uh, the amaryllis webpage on our extension site at extension.umn.edu, go to yard and garden and house plants. And it gives you all sorts of, there's pictures of planting amaryllis bulbs and a lot of good information on growing amaryllis. And uh, probably the same advice with this next text, Julie. (laughs) What houseplants do well in poor natural light? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. We just updated our webpage called Lighting for Indoor Plants. And uh, also starting seeds, we added that section to it. And we have a list of plants for low light, medium light, and high light, and a description of what those termino- what those uh, that terminology means. So take a look at that. There are a lot of plants um, in that area that are lots of different plants that you can grow for that low light. A uh, couple of examples. Uh, would be, and I'm looking at the list right now, things like ponytail palms and uh, dracaenas, English ivy, pothos uh, vines, lady palms, peace lilies, lots of different plants. Now, they're not going to really be very, uh, these plants don't bloom a lot. So they are understory plants in their native environment. They grow under other plants. And so they're used to growing in low light, but they're not big bloomers. You're going to need higher light to produce buds and then ultimately flowers. All right. So get on that website, extension.umn.edu. Great page. Wrote that with uh, my colleague, Natalie Hoyle. Excellent. Julie, hang on. We need to take another quick break here. We have more Smart Garden Show straight ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Stay with us. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to our good friends like Julie Weisenhardt from the U of M helping you out today by phone and by text. 
And uh, Julie, on this January 2nd day, we've got just a ton of text messages, <laughs> as usual. Yeah. So let's, let's see how many folks we can help uh, before you leave us today. There's one that says uh, we have two 30- to 40-year-old juniper bushes that have been trimmed over the years and need something planted beneath them to conceal the trunks, at least partially. Uh, ground covers are helping. Any suggestions for that? So ground covers are, uh, they will need to grow in shade. Uh, you'll want them to uh, remain green and, you know, look great. Uh, they're low-growing ground covers. You can do a couple things. One is, one comes to mind right away is uh, Pachysandra. Pachysandra is also called Japanese Spurge. It's a beautiful ground cover. It's an evergreen ground cover, and it grows to be about oh, six inches or so. It has a tiny white flower early in the spring, kind of a little, I'll call it a little fairy-type flower. It's a little spray-type flower and uh, good for bees, early-season bees. It is kind of expensive. Uh, You need to plant a lot of individual ground cover plants. So depending on the size of the space, this doesn't sound like a really big space, but uh, it would be that would be a good option for under those juniper trees. Now, underneath trees like that, it's very dry. So you may have to initially, at least until those plants are established, is really do some good watering to let them get their roots uh, reestablished in that drier soil. Uh, you can also grow hosta. Hostas are great. I know that we recommend those a lot, but they really are tough plants. There's a, you know, buku varieties of hostas, all different sizes. So if you're looking for a taller plant, uh, you can get one of the giant hostas, and that will fill up a big portion of that space. Uh, hostas grow well in dry, well-drained soil, which, again, you're going to have underneath these plants. And, uh, and they're tough plants. You can't, uh, it's very hard to kill hostas. And there are so many different varieties. I would recommend in the shade that you look at, under those plants, that you look at one of the more chartreuse-colored hostas or something with variegation in it, something that will really stand out in against that trunk and underneath those trees. So there's a couple of ideas, but you're looking for plants that grow in dry shade, and, and those are two that come to mind. Okay. Texter says this, Julie, I brought my dahlia bulbs in and have them in a pot in a south-facing window. I did the same thing last year. They grew fairly quickly, but were somewhat leggy. Is there a way to help them be less leggy, and what is the best way to transition them from uh, inside to outdoors in the spring? Well, that could be a whole show in its own right there. (laughs) But uh, here's the abbreviated version. So plants become leggy when they don't have sufficient light. And that's common when we have, say, geraniums in our house that we bring in from from the summer and also these dahlias. And so with the dahlias, uh, the most light possible is going to be, is going to help with the legginess. Uh, You might want to add supplemental light. Again, I'll refer you to our webpage, Lighting uh, for Indoor Plants and Starting Seeds on extension.umn.edu under the houseplant section. And uh, that will help when you add more light. It helps to create different kinds of cells that create a more compact plant so they don't get these long spaces between the leaves. It's called internodes. So that's one thing. Uh, as far as transitioning these plants in the spring, you want to put them outside on a nice warm day in a protected area and don't put them right into the sun. I know that that doesn't seem quite accurate, but you want to acclimate them to our spring weather. 
And so you want to put them into a shady location first and then a little bit more sun after a couple of days. If you're anticipating frost anytime, which sometimes we have frost in May, uh, then you want to bring those plants back indoors. You're really kind of getting them used to the outside. Uh, think of it like when you are standing on the end of the dock and you're ready to jump in the water. You don't want to jump in entirely. <laughs> you want to put your toe in and then your ankle in and kind of wade in and get used to the water until you really get up and over your head. So uh, that's the same thing with plants. We're moving them out and acclimating them to the conditions. And I would start doing that probably mid-May. Again, it depends on our weather that we're going to be having, but usually mid-May to Memorial Day is a good time to do that. Okay. Another similar question. I brought my hibiscus indoors for the winter, Texter says. was doing quite well, but now has dropped many leaves, and many of them have turned yellow. Is there any hope to keep it alive, and how much water should it be receiving? So that's a common issue with hibiscus is that when they come indoors, they will drop a bunch of leaves. It's common of lots of plants. Uh, and that's because you've, again, changed the environment. Now you're acclimating them to your uh, to the indoors. So you have different light, different humidity levels, and different temperatures. And so those plants are going to be, uh, they're going to drop some leaves, which they've grown outside in full sun. Uh, now they've brought, you brought them indoors. Now they're in kind of, a, you know, not, not as bright light and the same, not the same quality of light, so they're going to drop those leaves and they'll reproduce new leaves. And hibiscus are particularly good at that. So keep watering it. Keep it in a sunny window. Uh, you can trim it or shape it so that uh, you might want to cut some of it back and pick up the leaves, clean them up around the plant, and then you'll see new leaves start to sprout. Julia Texter has a question about the Arboretum, uh, wondering, is admittance still free of charge on the third Monday of each month this new year? I do not think so. Uh, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you can check the website for that, but I believe that because we're making these reservations and there's limited numbers of people that can be admitted into the Arboretum, I believe if you're not a member, you pay, uh, but you can check the website for that. Yeah, indeed. Do you recommend, Texter says, using rooting compounds? when starting plants from stems, so many different mixtures on the web. Thanks for your program. Yeah, so just a general rooting hormone, uh, hormone powder is all that you need. Um, uh, gibberellic acid is one of, the, uh, one of the rooting hormones that's common. And you can buy those. They come in a little plastic uh, little jar or uh, package. And uh, you you just need, you don't get a lot in there and you hardly need any. <laughs> so you just dip the end of the cut plant and then dip it into that rooting hormone and put it into your growing media. So gibberellic acid is one um, that is common for rooting uh, flowers or rooting houseplants. Another one, Texter wants to know, and you've addressed it earlier, is now a good time to prune oaks? Now is a good time to prune oaks. So the timing for oaks, if you remember, it has to do with oak wilt. And April through June is the high risk time for oak wilt. And then it goes to kind of a medium risk later in the summer. But winter is low risk. So, yes, this is a good time to prune your oaks. Uh, here's one that says, my hydrangea never turned from green to white last summer. They went straight to brown. Should I be supplementing this soil with something? No, it probably had to do with the weather 
And uh, that's usually when, when things like that don't quite work out like you thought. It could also be that they're maybe too shaded and they're not getting enough light. So those might be a couple of things. You might look around and see if a tree or shrub has gotten a little bit larger and started to shade it. And you might want to do some pruning or, you know, this is a great opportunity to get a new hydrangea and add one to your garden landscape that uh, that maybe will give you some new color. And there's a lot of great hydrangeas that are hardy for Minnesota. Well, let's see. We've got a minute or two to go here on the show today. Here's one that says, I have a small bougainvillea in a pot that I brought inside from my deck before the first frost. Slowly, the many flowers died off, but the leaves are still uh, green and the plant is still growing tendrils on its, on this trellis. Will it flower again in the spring and summer? Is now a good time to repot it into a bigger pot? Now is a good time to repot it. And, uh, and bougainvillea will, uh, they're big feeders. And so when uh, you get it outside again, and it will rebloom next summer, is you want to give it some good uh, half-strength fertilizer and do that as long as you're seeing active growing. So when you see new leaves coming or if you see buds coming, fertilize that plant so that it's got that extra nutrition to give it that boost so it will bloom again. If it's being an indoor plant, you can cut back some of those tendrils so that it's more manageable, and you can just do that to shape it, uh, maybe cut back no more than a third of it or so, uh, depending on how big the plant is at this point. All right, Julie, we are just about out of time. Maybe we could uh, pass along the, the university website once again for those that would like to do a little winter reading. Yeah, happy to do so. Extension.umn.edu. Got some new great uh, web pages. One of them that's particularly timely is Lighting for Indoor Plants and Starting Seeds. And that's how to add supplemental lighting and then how to deal with or grow plants for your particular light conditions. And uh, we also have the Yard and Garden News, which comes out. uh, We're on holiday right now for that. So we'll be starting that back up mid-January. And be sure to look at that. Again, we have a great article coming out on adopting practices for 2021. And I gave you a little bit of a hint to that earlier. And visit the Arboretum. Absolutely. Need a reservation. Happy New Year to you guys. Thanks so much for your help as usual, Julie. And yeah, have a great happy New, New Year. Year to everybody out there. Thanks very much. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Uh, get those home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis will be helping you out next hour here on CCO. Fog and mist, our current temperature reading, 10 degrees. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.